off with you, uh, your question. Yeah. yeah. So I um, have to summarize it. And what I said is in between the pages of 23 and 46, the text goes over the consideration of people at Congress, at a Congress of Indigenous people in 1990. The event is linked to a later part of the story where the author reviews the steady disappearance of the Native Americans. The author also creates poems from T.C. Cannon's images. The author adds in a poem by M. Scott Momaday that is relevant to the text. This leads to the mention of a law about Indigenous Religious Freedom Act in 1978. The author loses her mother and processes what she'll have to do to let her go, what she wishes her mother was still there for, and how much her mother sacrificed in order for her daughter to live a better life. That's a summary. Okay. Okay. I mean, you definitely did a lot of uh, historical research for that one. Yeah, it sounds like it. I'll go with it. I didn't really expect that much historical research to actually be relevant with the story. I just thought it was more like personal tellings. Yeah. She put a lot of effort in. Yeah. Well, uh, one of my things is to determine how trustworthy the author is with your group. Discuss whether you believe the author despite his or her biases. How objective can this author be? How persuasive? How does the trustworthiness of the quoted person affect the trustworthiness of the author? So generally, I did basically what the, uh, what do you call it? The evidence checker would do and just like check over biases and mm -hmm. once again it's just continual amounts of uh bias towards the native american side and agreeing with them which is expected but um i think one of the bigger biases uh, is on the starting pages like on page 26 when the um, author just naturally assumes that the reader knows history AKA like Christopher Columbus, John Wayne. Mm. Uh, yeah, I had to look up John Wayne. It was yeah, familiar, so, but it was, couldn't specifically think of who it was. So what do you think? Like, does she have a bias? I think um, absolutely. Cause like it's her telling of the story, but I feel like, like she's also really trustworthy because she's telling like evidence and like what's actually happened. And she's just kind of telling because whenever like there's a saying in history like um you don't hear about the losers you hear from the winners and so the native americans unfortunately kind of became the losers with the white man mm -hmm. and um you can kind of see how she's her and her people's kind of stories are kind of put aside so with the fact that it's kind of bringing it up it's going to be like it's going to feel biased in a way but like we've spent our entire childhood hearing about this one great guy who supposedly discovered America and how he brought so much prosperity when in fact he killed like thousands of people. And what's worse was that the uh, natives actually just gave him gold. And then after that, he yeah, them. pretty much. Yeah. Uh, objectivity of the author. Like I, I think the author is mostly objective in terms of like actual evidence, but in terms of her, like, formatting the story and writing it out she's more of uh, subjective how persuasive i'd say pretty persuasive 
Oh, yeah. How does the trustworthiness of the quoted persons affect the trustworthiness of the author? I have no clue what this means. Um, I think it just might be like um, the way the author questions different people or includes different people in there. But I mean, her point is definitely proven if she uses Christopher Columbus or John Wayne, people like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they're like viewed as American heroes. When you can't think of a single good thing they've done. Is that everything for you? I still have one more thing. Okay. Discuss each of the appeals as well as the questions you have about them. Take notes on what your group has to say. Do they agree or disagree with your findings? So there's about four different paragraphs which I had to write. Okay. Uh, anyways, so one of them is provide textual evidence for these assumptions, or the assumptions that the author seems to be making. Find two more or more examples of bias in the reading, either the author or included persons. Explain, etc. The second one is find one place where the author appeals to pathos and explain it. The third one is one place the author appeals to logos, explain it. And then the final one is find one place where the author appeals to ethos. And basically, the first one was on page 26, the Christopher Columbus and John Wayne piece of uh, textual evidence and lies. And then B for B, I put uh, during the poem, Walking on Mother's Body, the author appeals to the audience's emotions as she is not using evidence, but rather a personal account of her history. It's a poem that evokes personal emotions and it's made from a account. That means it isn't made from a piece of evidence that can be sent to have entirely pathos. So in the end, it just shows how Harho's writing is here, writings here is biased to her own account and how the reader is writing biased information. The second one, uh, pathos. The entire story was an appeal to pathos because it holds, log it holds logos behind it. It uses pathos to drive the point into the reader. The, the logos is there, to be like a support and a train, while the pathos is the plow that can split like the snow. Uh, one of the clearest points of pathos is on the 28th page. It explains the circle of life, but rather than stating it in a straightforward manner, R.O. uses poetry. Poetry in itself is like a storytelling method, but it holds man mannerisms and beliefs of the author. So in the end, if I had to say so, the entire book is playing pathos, and there is no good like singular passage to choose. Uh, logos. On page 29, Joy Haro uses Logos within the statement until the passage of the Indian Religious Freedom Act of 1978. Within the statement, um, it was illegal for Native citizens to practice our own culture. This statement is one that uses the history and Logos of the law to bring forth emotions from the reader. And then for the last one, Ethos, um, in the statement, once again, until the passage, uh, continuing on to write the write or create as a native person was essentially illegal. It brings forth the ethos of the situation. Nothing that Joy Harrow says can ever be proven as a lie, which is unlikely that she would lie. 
Everything that to many natives is recorded in the history with small singular recollections of her personal life, which is, which unless the reader can experience, is impossible to disprove. All right, that's it. Am I supposed to respond to that? I guess. <clears throat> well, I have no idea how to respond to that, but I can try. Um, so you were using like... Biases, basically. Biases? Yeah, I don't know much to say about that. So, like, what do you <laughs> think of the textual evidence and assumptions? Okay. Um... Yeah, you're right. I feel like every single passage is kind of evident of some sort of bias, but like a true bias, if that's a thing. Um, like on page 36, where she's talking about how the road to disappearance and the Indians will vanish, that sounds kind of like bias that not, it's like a negative thing, but more like, um, if you view it from different people, it could have either a positive or negative connotation. Yeah, can't think of anything else for that. Oh, do you have anything else? Or... Yeah, I have to do some questions. Oh, give me a second. It's about to end again. Sure. This thing has a five minute time limit unless you're in camp. Okay. Let's see. Okay, so I had to write five questions. My first question is, what type of pain can you feel, particularly in the song section, from this author, and what is the pain kind of shifting into? Wait, what? Um, what type of pain can you feel, particularly in the song section from this author, and what is the pain shifting into? I'll put it in the chat. Right. Which song section? Um, page, it starts at page uh, 37, the mama and papa have gone, or go, have the going home shiprock blues, it says song one through like nine. Personally, I didn't, I didn't really understand this one. I definitely thought it uh, spoke like about a story. But I couldn't tell you like which specific story it was about. It was definitely about a family and their um, their experience with I think the Sioux American War. I'm not sure. Do you not notice any emotions in it? I mean, you just kind of story happening. There were certainly emotions, just not for me. <laughs> I'd say there were definitely emotions of uh, grief and anger or like, yeah. a, what do you call it? Like the need for revenge. Okay, so Disgust. I said, uh, yeah. sorry, I said no, like in the first few songs, you can feel like um, a somatic pain as it's like a dull, steady ache. Like these things have happened, they're wrong, but we, we just kind of have to move on. But you can also feel something like kind of happening. But as you move on, she kind of uses the pain to like fuel her anger, to like define how her and her ancestors were like wronged. Because um, it says the past rose up before us and cried. Um, 
so it's like she's finally kind of fully under fully understanding that she she actually has a voice in this she can kind of tell her story did you get any of that or am i just going off on tangent i think i really didn't focus on that story unfortunately uh, that's what i focused on i guess that and um the woman the john wayne stuff yeah So the next question I said, how does the author use foreshadowing? And what story would you say like specifically foreshadowing happened? Okay, let's see. I guess on page 26 where she talks about um, kind of being forgotten with the Bolivian Indian woman. We thought John Wayne uh, had killed you all. I wouldn't really classify this personally as a uh, foreshadowing, rather just like a metaphor, specifically for like um, how like, I, I don't want to say colonization, but it's kind of like colonization in this case, because it's like uh, taking the people from their own land and making them believe what they, what happened is different from the actual truth. Mm -hmm. I just said, um, I kind of saw the foreshadowing in that. And then on page 36, where they talk about the road to disappearance, the Indians will vanish. Did uh, you see that? I didn't. That's you actually didn't? a pretty okay. interesting point you uh, pointed out. Yeah, because like 10 pages separation, how the Bolivian woman said, um, they thought they all disappeared. And then it talks about how the Indians will vanish. Mm -hmm. So, and then how does the author feel towards her mother? I think she definitely feels respect towards her mother. That's pretty plain and clear. I definitely think that she also uh, feels some sort of grief for what her mother had to go through just to uh, keep her children alive. <laughs> with the Bolivian Indian woman because I kind of felt that was really important. I feel like it was important, but I don't know how exactly it would relate to the story. Because mm -hmm. Bolivia is in South America compared to where North America was. Yeah. Okay, wait, let me search up the specific location. Okay, it's pretty landlocked. Um, it's below Brazil, which is, huh. I think it might symbolize escape in terms of uh, page 36 or what? Yeah, but there's a lot of links between those two pages.
Oh, okay. I think it kind of symbolizes like an actual escape in terms of the meetings between the different women from each uh, different tribe. But it definitely is kind of out there in terms of actual connection to real life events. I mm -hmm. think. I also think it's because like there's a large population of uh, native uh, native. Say that again. Sorry, you're glitching. I think it's also because of a large part of uh, native Bolivians, because I just searched it up and there's like a uh, twenty percent of people down in Bolivia are natives. We good. My. I can't hear you at all. Are you saying something? Can you hear me now? Okay, try and say something again. All right, can you hear me now? Yeah. All right, so I uh, just searched it up, and basically, like, 20% of Bolivians are native Bolivians, so I think it's a large part of a connection there. You said 20% of Bolivians are native Bolivians? No, 20% of Bolivians are native Bolivians. Like, uh, they were originally found on there. So I think it kind of relates to how natives were already in America, but <clears throat> they were technically converted to, like, uh, Indians. So it definitely relates there. Okay. I just said, um, oh, <laughs> the woman, she kind of, I kind of felt that she was kind of misinformed, but she was still really cocky. Um, because I don't really know what the situation for natives in South America is, but when she approaches it, when she approaches them, I feel like the author uses that example to kind of solidify how the Native Americans are kind of fading away from the collective memory. I think it also kind of shows like how there are more natives actually hidden in behind the scenes where you would think of it, because like a bowler hat kind of represents a bowler hat and a trench coat like coming out from the shadows. Mm -hmm. Do you not get that example? No. Like um, any uh, old like uh, detective movie, there would be like this secret spy that comes out revealing yeah. himself from the shadows with like super important information to the narrative. So basically that's what I think it is like Joey Haro just brings like the whole native collection over all the worlds, all the continents, and brings it in there. Personally, I didn't think it was too important, but it definitely was a factor to what she wanted us to think. Mm -hmm. You have another question? Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
Okay. Um, the last one, how does the author use poems inspired by images to tell her story? Uh, poems inspired by images? Yeah, the um, on page 37, all those songs were inspired by T.C. Cannon painting titles. Yeah. titles. And then also um, 27 with weapons is also inspired by T.C. Cannon. I think weapons was one of the more interesting ones because it actually had like a specific singular narrative. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, rather than actual weapons, it's more like um, just a singular color for each story, but they somehow intertwine, such as um, yellow and how the stars were in the sky, black was the night, stars and sky, night, um, red was like humanity or blood. Green was just grass and the nat natural land. Blue, the sky, the morning sky. So I think it relates to how um, like it goes from dark night to morning greenery. Mm -hmm. I think it's also pretty well represented, seeing as how black is the very first one and blue is the very last one. And then over to page 36 with the other songs. Yeah. Um, I'm going to need a starting point. Do you have any uh, like ideas on these? Um... ideas just like what do you think the main song actually represents or what it's based around i feel like the writing is kind of different for the songs than like her normal poetry yeah because um, it's a lot more like not fantastical but it kind of just sounds it's like simpler but somehow more powerful than for example too far um like how she wrote washing my mother's body because she's she was very specific and she hit like all the points to kind of tell her story versus in the songs they were like simple short but they were also somehow like more powerful like just the wording she used to kind of hit home She kind of talks about how um, white people have wronged her race mm -hmm. versus in the rest of the story. It's more of like a personal telling than like actual right and wrong. I think it kind of follows the history of like what happened from Christopher Columbus to up until now, I think. Mm -hmm. 
because like it starts with we were wrangled up like slaves um to two guns Arakara, which is kind of like um how they tried to be peaceful with uh the settlers and then soldiers where they started fighting rebelling against the soldiers to uh so soldiers sold to where they um started like getting hunted and turned into i think slavery if i'm not wrong zero hero is probably like um, um anyways so manifest destiny where someone east someone west we were bound to meet up we could have had a feast and help each other made an alliance where they got uh separated into different tribes oh see that and song six where they it's just let them eat grass what we speak always returns with the spike of barbs or the sweet taste of berries in the summer i don't really know how i can uh like talk about this one and maybe uh, kind of talks about how their kindness was like overlooked and um like the whites gave the Native Americans like with a spike of barbs versus the Native Americans gave them the sweet taste of berries in summer. Mm -hmm. Kind of talking about how they differently viewed each other but kind of responded to each other's presence. <laughs> I you just reminded me of something. Um this one kind of relates to Jamestown, the first initial settlement in America with the um, British, and how the natives actually taught the British how to survive with berries. Yeah, the corn. Oh yeah, the berries. And then song seven, Three Ghost Figures. I think it's just like going straight to the future at this point, where it just mentions with Gatling guns and GMO spoiled cops, crops met, uh, motioning us to safety we offered tobacco and paid attention to their stories i think it's just relating to the present at that point going on to song eight uh, i actually don't know this one's a little bit different it's different from the other ones i feel like it's um kind of yeah it is different i feel like it's kind of more of a kind of like a current telling of how Native Americans are kind of like from then on are kind of trying to survive through it. Um, I feel like forever and ever that's my cousin, uncle, or auntie, uncle, another cousin. I feel like that's who's dying due to some prejudice or something. Betting machines and pop, like they're kind of poor and they can't afford very much, so they go for that sort of thing. I think it's related to the, uh, the Native American reserves, like how they're just stuck on a specific land, not enough clean yeah. water. Like, they can't do anything. They just sit there, slowly decaying, I guess. Yeah, that's visual. Yeah. Song 9, It's a Good Day to Die. I think it's... Uh, It's like the ending of that specific chapter in life. Mm -hmm. 
uh, here. Must run or on love because we can't afford gas. Sun coming up, we give thanks to the creator for life, these lands, family, how the bad is always swallowed by something good. I love you forever, honey. A love like ours never dies. Mm -hmm. Can I get like um, nostalgic vibes from that? Like, it's not something I experienced, but I mean, like, I feel like she's kind of going over her life with, yes, like honey, honey colored? Rose, rose tinted glasses, yeah. but she also takes them off to kind of just see like how, um, yes, there were good times, but it was kind of outshadowed by the bad in some points. Um, she just kind of made the best of it. She tried to live her life even with all their restrictions. I also think it kind of mentions the way that um, the Native Americans, even though they were driven apart into separate tribes and stuck into uh, just areas they have to stay basically they still have each other and their histories with them their belief system their ancestors etc mm -hmm. was that the last question yes all right i'm going to stop the recording